0: Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and that Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded. I pay my respects to Elders and Custodians past, present and emerging, and to those of the lands that this podcast reaches. As I embark on this process of speaking and listening, I'm doing so in the home of one of the longest continuous cultures of oral storytelling on the planet. (laughs)
1: Performance works in particular. I'm always hiding as well. Like, yeah. There's like an intensity of my presence in my voice, specifically because the things I, I've been doing involve my voice a lot—singing mm. or speaking. But there's also I'm realizing a kind of push and pull between like yes, my body's here or my voice is here, but I'm hiding in some way. Like mm. my hand is obscuring my face, or this costume I'm wearing is kind of hiding my identity in in some way. And I think it is that need Mm -hmm. for, like, I want to be able to connect, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, like, have a sense of there is a boundary or there is still sovereignty or, like, I'm doing this for myself, in myself.
0: Hi, I'm Ty Snaith, and this is A World of One's Own, a series of conversations with women and non-binary artists I respect and admire. In each of these conversations, we attempt to break down the how and why of what we make. Together, we look at physical processes and how they relate not only to outcomes, but also connect to the unconscious or non-visual parallels and needs in our lives. Today, I'm speaking with Archie Barry. Archie is a non-binary, interdisciplinary artist even though the term non-binary is not quite a sufficient definition for them, which we'll talk about more later on. Archie's practice explores the slipperiness of language and the very human impulse we have to share our feelings. When I was listening back to this conversation, I noticed that my voice changed. It was almost like I was unconsciously trying to match Archie's thoughtful, considered manner. It made me think about the empathy involved between an audience member and an artist and the way that our voices can actually express a lot about us and our feelings. Everything is pushing everything away. Everything is pushing everything away. This body is not real. This body is not fake. This body is not real. This body is not fake.
1: Nothing touches anything. Nothing touches anything. Float.
0: Don't walk. Float. Don't walk. This body is not real. This body is not fake. This body is not real. This body is not fake. This body is not real. This is an untitled piece of music that Archie kindly supplied us with as a little taste of what they do. Archie described it as an auditory descendant of the video piece Tatsache. It's a captivating snippet, but Archie's artwork isn't really something you can experience in a podcast. Archie's works are best experienced in a room full of people, responding to the space and the atmosphere they create. Now, Archie, I was thinking before um, we started what to introduce you as in terms of your practice. For me, the first thing that comes to mind is performance. Is that how you describe yourself?
1: Um, The two forms that I've come to describe my practice by when people ask what I do is performance and video. Mm. But I'm realising more and more that there's a lot of things surrounding that and underneath that which are... Equally, if not more important. So I write a lot, which I don't really speak about very often, and that writing's really important. Yeah, um, and I also make music. Yeah, hmm.
0: Hmm. Well, that's good. It's kind of like sub subcategories, but it's hard to list them all at once, isn't it?
1: Yeah, they're like subcategories and pre categories, <laughs> like the things that lead to the other things yeah. that people know about.
0: Oh. Almost like underpinnings, or um, yeah, big part of the process as much as the titles, but it's funny how we give each other titles. Yeah, it's um, really As curious. artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think, um, well, performance for me suggests that you are using yourself in your work, which is something that, I mean, I guess I do as well in some ways, but I would never call myself a, a performance artist. Mm. Um, but using yourself in your work comes with lots of different challenges. Mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, I wanted to ask what you know what informs your work in terms of yourself or not. Just what informs your work? Like, where does it start from?
1: That's such a massive question.
0: Sorry, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can break it down if it's too hard. What mm. uh, um, does yourself inform your work? Like, does it come from you?
1: Uh yeah, definitely and I think very consciously so it comes from autobiography and I don't know how apparent that is um because I feel like I make a thing and then a lot of people give me feedback of how they can relate to that or like especially the performance work that I've done recently people tend to have like an uh, immediate Like, there is a response as, like, an immediate, like, people want to tell me how they felt during the thing. Mm. So it becomes something that other people can relate to in their own way, often on an emotional level. Mm. But um, it certainly comes from my experience of being in the world and my history and my upbringing, definitely.
0: I mean, I saw one of those performances and had that exact response. Well, not, I mean, everyone has a different response, but I saw your performance at ACA and I'm pretty sure it was a hypnic. Is the one with the is it hypnic is mm-hmm. say with the mouth and you use a kind of prosthetic lip, is that right?
1: Yeah, it's a little prosthetic cast of my nose, upper lip and bottom lip.
0: Yeah, and it's quite um I mean it's it's actually really difficult for me to put into words, which is rare. But for me it was quite discombobulating but very um, captivating and mm. and and really emotional, and I actually mm. was one of those people that felt and i know i 've already said this to you off off air, but um felt quite emotional witnessing it mm-hmm. and privileged witnessing it, which is mm. a funny thing to um feel you know because you usually with a performance you there 's this sort of exchange whereby you 're the audience and the performer as you you know you partake in this exchange that 's quite standard, but it didn 't feel standard with you you know it felt like something quite special. But do you think about that when you're crafting um when you're crafting that kind of performance do you think about the way the audience is going to consume it? <laughs> um
1: No, mm. I, I actually don't and especially like with that work mm. and performance things that have devised since then it's like other people don't sort of come into my mind in the crafting of the thing it's a very solitary process. Um I just kind of get a little bit obsessed over one idea and then kind of work that over in my head over and over and over and how's it going to, like, feel in my body mm. is what I think about. Mm. And so then when people have a response, it's always like, oh, holy crap. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, not it worked, but, it just, like, it's often been really unexpected. Like, when I first did that performance, I had, I didn't anticipate what it would feel like for other people and at the end when I saw people crying, I was like, mm. Wow, that um did something that mm. I wasn't aware it would do. So
0: It's pretty amazing. Because it's especially if you haven't calculatedly done that, you know, it's purely your your intense feeling with yourself has translated across some kind of weird human, um empathy mm. highway or something. <laughs> 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 I didn't think about saying that, but it's sort of what it is. Like it's um and it's unspoken that 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 empathy highway that we share is like you can feel it sometimes between people you can you can't see it but it was definitely in that room um, and it's almost like it's kind of addictive like people want more of that and I I think that that's what's gonna make you a super successful artist is that that's very difficult to um, tap into um, and especially when for me I find it just absolutely amazing with your work and fascinating that it must be such a big process for you like and kind of full on to be putting yourself in front of you know in that in that frame in front of an audience exploring those things you know Mm. publicly I I mean I can't imagine that as a process.
1: Yeah and I think like the performance works in particular I'm always hiding as well like Mm. There's like an intensity of my presence in my voice specifically because the things I, I've been doing involve my voice a lot, mm. singing or speaking. But there's also I'm realizing always like a a kind of push and pull between like, yes, my body's here or my voice is here, but I'm hiding in some way. Like mm. my hand is obscuring my face or um, this costume I'm wearing is kind of hiding my identity in, in some way. And I think it is that need mm. for, like, I want to be able to connect yeah. but at the same time, like, have a sense of there is a boundary or there is still sovereignty or, like, I'm doing this for myself, in myself and...
0: You're only allowed to see so much. Yeah. All the things that you choose yeah, to put forward, which is, mm. I guess, what all artists do. You construct that identity through your artwork and often people think they know you but mm. perhaps that's just what you want them to know of you. I mm. mean, where do you draw that boundary? I mean, how how much of you do you want people to know? Um,
1: I think it's so contextual. Like mm. there's things that I will tell some people and not other people. There's mm. things that I will like share in specific circumstances w- when it feels safe mm-hmm. and then there's other circumstances where actually it's not appropriate. So I think it's just like an ongoing um, back and forth and like re- realising where it is okay and not okay to be particular forms of self, which sounds kind of screwed, <laughs> but that's just the world, really. Yeah. Um, because like I, I feel that a lot of the things that I make are funny, mm. but they're also really painful.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's an it's an odd mix.
1: Mm, so it's like the pain part that people are like, "Oh, I feel that." Mm. Like that's. A universal human experience, like feelings of isolation or ostracization or alienation or whatever it mm-hmm. is that people pick up from the things that I do. Um, but being able to speak to that unanimously, like in an uncensored way, is, can be really vulnerable or re traumatizing. So, yeah, it yeah, has to be like. Case by case,
0: yeah, yeah, and you assess, I guess, how you're feeling at the time as well, and mm. how much you can take. Like mm. you must have to sort of re, you know, re-energize between those things. I can only imagine how zapping that kind of a performance is. I mean, any performer it is, but particularly those very personal performances.
1: I I actually find them energizing.
0: Ah, <laughs> so that, well, that's why you do it, then, I guess.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't really know why I do it, and maybe mm. that's like common for artists we don't really know why it is that we're compelled to do what we do I've only really been making performances for the last two years and after the first performance that I think was quite um had a similar kind of capacity or like agency or something to connect with people Mm -hmm. um I just felt entirely different in my body and it was a really like grounding experience.
0: That's so amazing. I was
1: like, oh, yeah, keep oh, doing keep that. Keep doing this.
0: <laughs> See where this goes. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess really just cutting to the chase of, of your body, it's something that is changing at the moment and something that you're consciously um, evolving, I guess is one way to put it. And correct me if I'm wrong at any time. Mm. Um, but how does that affect your work, you know, your body evolving through this period of your life? How can you see that affecting your work or changing your work, you know, yeah. or or not at all? Or does it become part of your work? Yeah. Um, That's no, no, good.
1: <laughs> it'll just take me a minute to gather my response. Um, because, yeah, because that is like quintessential or like that is the material substance mm-hmm. um, of a lot of my work, but... I'm noticing like for me what I'm really interested in understanding and thinking about and writing about and talking about Mm. is having the ability and the right to be uh, hidden Hmm. because for pretty much the entirety of kind of a Western history, gender nonconformity is equated to evidence, like you need Mm, to prove prove. yourself somehow.
0: Mm, Like scientific kind of.
1: Scientific, but also I think just in the way that it's spoken about like in common rhetoric of sort of, oh, how long have you felt that way or was this a thing you knew since childhood or whatever? And that desire to really like pinpoint an essential self that's been there for, you know, your life or whatever. I think it's um, limiting
0: Mm.
1: and it also is it, it requires people to kind of divulge something of themselves that's so precious and important and core um, that we don't ask everyone. No. So it's kind of uh, invasive as yeah. well. So
0: Most people have the urge to do that, right? What do you mean? Well, do most people have the urge to do that to you, to ask about the process?
1: I think people probably am aware that I have, like, Boundaries around speaking on that. Sure, and I don't get asked that stuff too often, but yeah, it comes up from time to time. It comes up with family, it comes up with employers, It comes up in the art world for mm. sure. Um, I
0: mean, I, as I said, like if I say anything that, yeah. and I think it's, I think it's also important to talk about things so that other people can understand, you know, you and your place in the world and your work, because part of it is, as I understand it, difficult just being all lumped into one category when there's so many different myriad forms of gender nonconformity and queerness and, non you know, transgender. There's so many different, just as there is as any other type of gender, you yeah. know, or people or whatever. But I think it's important to sort of open it up as much as you're comfortable, I mm. guess. And in that way, for me to understand it is sort of like how it relates to your work. Yeah. Yep. And I find that fascinating that you're very public in so many ways, but then so kind of as you said um hidden in so many ways, and that's something that you're obviously aware of, but do you think can you foresee that um ch- changing in any in any way um <laughs> I'm sure sense?
1: that it will I'm sure it's gonna evolve and like um that what I make will change over time. I mean, I hope it will <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um I guess um. It's interesting to me that the things that I do are more and more about, like, uh, expressing something of trans identity that doesn't rely on being able to see it visually. Mm. Like, I think I am predominantly a visual artist, but I'm so interested in voices. So this format of a podcast is (laughs) actually quite apt to to things that I am kind of working on and thinking about. So the voice and also, like, uh, or having images of a body that cannot be kind of... Easily pulled apart or identified yeah. is, I think, really fascinating, mm. and and I really believe that like representation is so important, and there need to be um, really proud, open images of gender discretion or gender nonconformity, mm. and that's really important work. But I don't necessarily think that it's my work, mm. and there has to be space for you know like multiple avenues for making work that's about representation and making work that's about the right to be invisible, or mm. to opt out, or mm. I mean, I think even the term non-binary sometimes gets used like as a political term mm. um, to mean basically no faith in
0: really? the
1: binary, yeah,
0: or just against the binary or something.
1: I think sometimes it's used that way.
0: Mm. No faith in sort of like the normal way of doing things i don't i I don't mm. read it as that i mean i mm-hmm. i I don't know I guess it's just something that you're given as a term and we terms constantly change, and this is something that I also find fascinating parallel to your work is that idea of the limitations of language which mm. i I get so strongly from your work and i'm I'm also obsessed with language and mm. the way that it can be so powerful you know mm. one word can just be so powerful, but there are such limitations in that as well. And mm. I feel like with your work you have this ability to kind of open it up to bring a whole lot more ambiguity into, you know, words, but not just words, actions, mm. tones, mm. you know, repetition, rhythm. Um, is that something that you're, you know, obviously conscious of? Yeah, the
1: yeah, for sure. Um, conscious of, but uh, I think for me working with those things is really about kind of becoming obsessed with them and then allowing them to kind of disintegrate and fall apart mm. instead of um, planning or something. Um, <laughs> oh, I love that. It's, yeah. yeah. It's and not
0: calculated at all. That's right. Yeah.
1: Um, but, yeah, so that thing about um, language, uh, the misuse of language or like um, identifying where language fails us mm. um, to come back just briefly to the word non binary yeah. as well, because I think like it is a it is a space or like that word alludes to um like a experiential realm that doesn't look one way or mm-hmm. sound one way. But I think also like semantically it's interesting because it's defined negatively. It's, yes, it's, it's saying non- not woman, mm-hmm. not man, mm-hmm. something kind of beyond or between. Mm-hmm. Um
0: so and- what do you prefer?
1: how do I prefer to yeah. be spoken about yeah. or addressed? Um, I use the word non-binary, yeah. but I think it's insufficient.
0: Mm, I, I do too, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. So is it not come then, the word? Like, um, is, is the word not come along then that's that's right, you know?
1: Um, well, it's I not just negative. feel like words are never going to be sufficient. No. But I, I, I like the word non-binary even though I feel that it's not enough for me because it follows a kind of logic that's familiar to me because I grew up in this really unique educational environment that mm. taught me some really core ideas around I am not this body, I'm not my thoughts, mm-hmm. I'm not my emotions. So um, kind of paring back things that are ephemeral and changing to something other than that. So mm. it feels like a way of thinking or speaking that's really like been with me for a long time.
0: And so that kind of learning that you talk about came from Did that come from your parents or from school environment or specifically, Um, that way of thinking?
1: That came from uh, the primary school that I went to, Hmm. which was a small independent primary school that taught... It was a really interesting (laughs) environment to be in as a small child, but it taught... um, the philosophical tenets of Advaita Vedanta, which is a Hindu philosophy, which is so strange as like a five-year-old white Mm. Australian kid. That's great. Um, And that primary school, uh, I was sent there by my parents who were before my lifetime members of the School of Philosophy, which is like an international organization that follows the same philosophies. So... Um it was
0: in line with their beliefs. Yeah. Or they're just their questioning, I guess, or their, yeah. Yeah. Hmm, amazing. Hmm. I do think that those early childhood, um, I don't know, experiences or memories play such, you know, for everyone it's totally different. You either own them and they, mm. you know, you kind of celebrate them or you you rile against them sort mm. of for the rest of, you know. I mm. I myself had l- l- many different primary schools and mm. many different people that I met and, you know, parents separated and a whole lot of s- crazy stuff happened for me and, and I choose to see that as a positive thing and always have, but then you speak to people about trauma of separation or like changing house every year and it's sort of this thing they work through for the rest of their mm. life in therapy or whatever. But for me I've always thought of myself as really lucky mm. Um and I guess that's that, you know, putting a negative inflection on things or a positive thing, and on onto your what you are, like your past, your present. It's something that recently I've been aware you are in a lot, it more control of than you might imagine, you know, whether your situation is positive or
1: mm-hmm.
0: negative. But I mean, I guess going back to that non non-binary, it's kind of like a um, not a not a double negative, but it's almost like. Assuming for me, it's like binary seems kind of restrictive, mm. you know. For anyone, all mm. of us, so non-binary then makes it a positive, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, even though non is a negative word.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, it's like a, it's like offering an alternative, mm. which is a good thing.
0: Outside of the binary, might be a more mm. <laughs> positive way of saying. <laughs> um, what else I want? What I wanted to talk to you about, yeah, language. Um, oh, yeah, about, I guess, being social, you know, like I, something I noticed recently um, on, I can't remember what I read it on, but that you opting out of social media for a little bit, like all of mm. us need to, and you said, um, I'm out of here because social media doesn't feel very social right now. And mm. I just thought that was a really interesting kind of phrase in that we all assume this is a way of connecting, but, you know, do you want to talk a bit about that idea of connection through Digital media?
1: Yeah, I think it's been like super important to the formation of me as an adult person. <laughs> um, like, I grew up in the generation of people who were sort of the first people to use the internet from mm. a young age.
0: Digital native. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like,
1: um, I love email. <laughs> like, that's one of my preferred modalities for communicating because yeah. you can really think through something and write what you really mean. Mm. And it's got sort of more space around it than kind of immediate chat platforms or whatever. You're but good on
0: email. You're very quick.
1: Am I? Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: articulate. I'll probably particular. make a point of
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but social media as an asocial mm. or not very social um, way to kind of connect with people. I don't know. I I think it's it's limited, like it's got... It's done so much for me. It's saved me. Like in my growing up, it yep. was a way to communicate with people who uh, gave me a sense of I have a future. Hmm. Like I can grow up and live in the world.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. That were not really in your vicinity, I guess. Absolutely uh, not. In different countries. No, even just- in Australia, but yep.
1: just people in communities that I didn't have contact with um,
0: physical contact with, yeah. Yeah.
1: Or any kind of proximity to. And and I realize how important it is as like a way to uh garner attention or like mm. coagulate people <laughs> together in real space. Um a tool. Yeah, it's a tool.
0: Well recently you had, you know, fairly succinct um experience with that. Do you want to talk a little bit about using that those platforms to, you know, for your campaign? Oh,
1: sure. Um yeah, well, that's that's like a great mm. example. Mm, it's um, amazing. And one that I had, I really had um, no comprehension of whether it was going to work out or not at the mm. start. I was terrified. You'd so,
0: never crowdsourced anything before? No. Mm, amazing.
1: Um, yeah, so I ran a campaign um, which I have so many conflicting feelings about which I could touch on, but um campaign... Uh, essentially selling artworks in exchange for donations to have surgery. Mm. Uh, and so I managed to raise $10,000 um, through the internet.
0: <laughs> it's amazing, isn't
1: it? It's crazy. And but it's through
0: people at the ends of the internet and it's through right. empathy and understanding mm. and support,
1: which, mm.
0: you know, it's important that you know that.
1: Yeah, but I think that experience as well, like I realised... Um, how abstract that platform is. You Mm -hmm. can't see people and shake their hand and say, thank (laughs) you so much. They don't get to see, like, the tears I've cried or Mm. they don't get to feel the feelings or sort of, like, see my response to what what they've given me, which is such a precious thing.
0: But you're pretty good at communicating that. Like, I think that's part of your gift as an artist is that you're very good at communicating these un... non-physical emotions, like it's part of your skill set. Hmm. And so I guess if it's not going to, if that platform's not not going to work for you, then it's not going to work for, for anyone because you do feel, I mean, I, I felt like as part of that campaign, everyone was quite, um, well, I know I was, but everyone was sort of just with you on that. Like no one sort of dipped in and then left. Mm-hmm. Everyone followed it and mm-hmm. kept checking in on it. And you were quite generous sharing that, which I understand must have been pretty hard, yeah. <laughs> 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 to say the least.
1: <laughs> well, it is it's hard on a number of levels. It's like hard because um like that's that's kind of like my artistic modality, I guess, is to like look at the things that are difficult and like try and restructure them or or turn them into a, a source of empowerment in mm-hmm. some form. So I made these monotype prints with my tits <laughs> and sold those to people and the mono, the monotypes had words embedded in them referring to kind of um experiences of dysphoria um
0: words like i remember passing i can't remember the other words
1: um dog ear Mm. um and weird Mm. so the word i guess the word passing is probably the one that people can kind of Mm. create associations with most easily Mm as a as a word that refers to um, being able to pass in social settings as a man or a woman or, or whoever you are.
0: I didn't even think of it like that.
1: Oh, cool. <laughs> I
0: thought of it like, um, you know, passing through. Passing by. Yeah. yeah, Like well, changing or mm. time passing. Mm. Mm. Yeah,
1: well, I guess it, it pulls all of those things mm. into itself, which is really interesting. I I guess the discrepancy of, like, having a lot of difficult um very present, visceral feelings, and turning that into a commodity,
0: hmm.
1: which is sort of like an analogy for what the art world is.
0: Yep, pretty much. Mm.
1: So there was that. <laughs> not for side everyone.
0: Of it. Not for everyone, but for a lot That's of us. True. Yeah. Mm. So there was that side of it is actually challenging that that world that you've chosen to be part of, where you.
1: Yeah, it's a bit contentious, and yeah. um, I was I was really afraid that those artworks would be distasteful for people and that that would kind of um, Mm. be a barrier. And then I actually had a really great chat with my counsellor about it and they were like, people appreciate artworks for so many different reasons. People appreciate artworks that are confronting because they're confronting. Of course. And people appreciate artworks that are vulnerable for that Mm -hmm. vulnerability. Yeah. So it's like...
0: And to be honest, I, I mean... I would have been part of that without the artwork anyway. Mm. Like I think anyone that's met you or seen you perform would have would have donated to that campaign without getting anything back. So uh, I think actually they were bonuses really like and that's i know so. that for, i know that for you it probably felt integral to challenge that notion of um you know doing something for the money but i actually don't think that that's what it's about at all i think it's about people understanding you and where you need to go and helping you do that like it's you know i don't think exchange always has to be you know that you get something back but then yeah i
1: think it's important to give things like like when i think about performance i think of it as giving a performance mm. like it's like a thing that I made, but it I need it to be like for other people. <laughs> <on some laughs>
0: level. It, is it sort of like um, if if it's not, it do, it didn't happen <laughs> for you? I mean, is that sort of important that other people experience it to for it to be real?
1: Hmm. I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah,
0: because I I mean I think this comes up with lots of chats that I've had with people about making art and why we mm. do it, mm. um, and often there's that whether it comes from that sort of understanding of, you know, the canon of art, like until someone buys it, is it worthy? Until it's in a museum, is it worthy? Until it just comes off your hand or out of your voice, is it even real? You know, mm-hmm. I think there's these different mm-hmm. degrees of what we're taught makes a valid idea. But it it is interesting how now I think there's a lot more grey area around that and particularly with dance being so kind of important right now and that exchange of sort of gestures as um, a kind of economy really like is happening now that Mm -hmm. we don't, that makes it just as real. I mean, you don't, you know, it's interesting What what does real mean there? Well, what does real mean there? That's, I mean, that's something that's Mm. that's interesting because everything's real or fake no matter which way you look at it. But real artwork, I guess I'm referring to it as like, you know, I, I guess we've always been taught that unless it's within this framework it's sort of not whatever. It's just some weird thing you're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Like the framework gives it value or,
0: or something or meaning or meaning. Yeah,
1: I guess it is. It's that thing of like the more people who see the artwork, like it. Well, I guess for me, my interest is in being able to allow people to see the thing. Mm. Um, and there, are, there are like like very well established formats for making that possible, i.e., galleries and institutes.
0: Mm. Traditional formats, yeah, but then you have lots of different avenues as well.
1: That's right, and and I th- like I think to me what's what's interesting for me is being able to do a thing that that does go like through the traditional, <laughs> well-travelled route, mm-hmm. and because that's where like I think it's so interesting, like the big galleries and the big institutes um, are frequented by people who don't who don't come from an art world background or whatever and I think that's where you can actually like put a thing that will reach people who are otherwise un- uh, disconnected or like unable to contact that thing mm. in their lives yeah maybe that's really sort of a utopic vision and <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll get like totally disillusioned really soon <laughs> maybe
0: I, don't know. I hope not I hope <laughs> not but I think at some point we all have that utopian vision of what art can achieve and I like to think that all artists kind of hang on to that in some way even if they hang on to it with a sort of filter of jaded you know, <laughs> nihilism or something over the top of it, but I think you need to in order to to persist at being an artist because there's kind of no other real reasons, is there, <laughs> <laughs> apart from working through your own things, um, meeting people, talking to mm. people. But the power in that sharing is it's real, and I think for for you know I think for you it's real. It's it's amazing that that gallery world is something that you have just sort of effortlessly fallen into or accepted or embraced because traditionally that's a difficult thing to do with the type of work that you're making. I mean, there's a long history of performance artists who have done it, but um, I can't imagine it's an easy path to take, you know, because you have to constantly justify what you're doing. You have to pitch it. You have to write like a thing around it. You Mm. have to sort of say what parameters it will fall within, you know, what people might get out of it. You you Mm -hmm. almost have to sell it before you even do it.
1: Right. And you don't necessarily know what it is you're going to do. I know.
0: So that's our skill in itself, Mm -hmm. allowing for that sort of breadth of experience without actually kind of even doing it or going there yet. Mm. Um, But you seem to be, the skill seems to have already settled in. You seem to be kind of.
1: Well, yeah, like it. Uh, It's a learnt skill. Mm. Like I'm fortunate in my education. Yeah. Really fortunate. So it's not just a sort of magical thing that suddenly happened or like mm. a natural talent or whatever. I'm really lucky.
0: Mm. Um, And I guess you're also helping educate other people to be able to do that as well. And that's something that, um, you know, we shouldn't overlook is that by you actually doing what you do, other people either – um, feel like they can also do that or they learn that there are people like you that need support in order to do that and allow other people to do it and that's something that is not not—it's not an easy position to take but you sort of forging away is really important. But something on that, I guess, is just um, something that I noticed you have been doing in your personal life, I guess, is having creating your home as a space for, um, and you don't need to talk about this if you don't want to, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I just read it on Facebook Mm because I was like, I want to talk to you about that because I didn't know you did that. So Mm. can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, that's, like, really very important to me. Yeah, so I I host a, I call it a sharing circle, which is just a group of people, uh, some of them strangers and some of them people I know, who come to my house and, well, once a fortnight, and we uh, just talk about our lives Hmm. Um, it's like a no feedback kind of group environment so Mm -hmm. people are given the chance to say whatever they're experiencing without um, feedback or critique or advice Mm -hmm. which is a very precious thing in this world (laughs) it's very rare to be heard and not questioned I think especially if you're of a gender non-normative kind of background um, or exploring that Mm -hmm. Um, we're really rarely given the chance to just express or speak it's always um required that we kind of validate our experience in some form Mm. so um it's it's like the such a source of power Mm. i think that space and every time it happens i'm totally blown away by people it's about mm, eight people or it's capped at eight people and we just come together and drink tea
0: It's like (laughs) i
1: talk about um All of the stuff that's going down.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that changes every two weeks, that people change?
1: People change. um, But now I'm in this really unique and precious situation of knowing people and knowing people but not knowing them at the same time, Hmm. knowing people by their first name, knowing people by their pain really, Hmm. but not knowing where they live, not knowing what they do for work, not knowing their financial situation. Um, That's amazing. And having known these people for a few years, like, Mm. um, uh, yeah.
0: And how did that start? Did you initiate that?
1: Um, It started by when I moved to Melbourne, I um, got involved with a really (laughs) interesting, um, some would call it a sex cult. Oh, yeah. Um, Others would call it like a, a spiritual kind of... I don't know, community um, <laughs> that was run by this person who's kind of become, who became a good friend and then an acquaintance and whatever. But mm. um, that person ran these um, groups for women to to basically do the same thing, speak about their lives, speak about their experience of gender and sexuality. And I went along to one of those groups and I said at the first one, like, oh, this feels kind of weird, like I don't, identify as a woman but mm. I'm I'm kind of here because I'm um, kind of peripheral to this community and I'm interested in kind of connecting with people so um, as time went on and I realized actually it's really uncomfortable to try and continue to identify as a woman I tried to find something parallel in the trans community and it didn't exist hmm. so so you made it yeah
0: that's I mean I think for anyone listening which is always nice at some point in the chats to to remember that there's people. <laughs> but for anyone listening that is um, maybe feeling like in any way their practice or themselves sit outside of the usual boxes that we're meant to drop into, is it's always an option to do that. Mm-hmm. And more and more I realise that the people I'm really drawn to um, as artists uh, um, often have that same story mm-hmm. where they've created um, a space or a world, which is where the whole concept for this these talks came from, yep. is that people that I really respect are people that have maybe thought, oh, I don't really, this isn't right, I've tried all the different options, mm. I'm not really this, I'm not really that, I'm not a painter, I'm not a sculptor, they're the basic ones, you know. Mm-hmm. And so instead of just saying, oh, I fail then or, uh, you know, I'm out mm. or I'm the weirdo or whatever, it's creating a space where they can
1: yeah.
0: find other people like that, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's like, and sometimes it's not just about, oh, I failed or I'm a weirdo. Mm. It's, it's actually about like, well, what is necessary to survival yeah. as well?
0: How do I keep going? Yeah. And and you need other people to keep going.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and that's what sort of cohered this fortnightly group of people.
0: Mm. But I really love that approach that you don't necessarily need other people to um tell you what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong or give you feedback, that you just need other people to sort of, I don't know, share it with or something? Or or is it to identify with? It's sort of just to acknowledge and understand.
1: Because it's all of those things. Mm. Yeah, like those groups of people, even though we're you know, silent most of the time because we're listening to one person speaking. There's a lot of head nodding and mm mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sort of yeah. like that just there's a sense of familiarity in the room. And it it really is like we create a world in that space in my garage.
0: It's really fascinating though, because in some ways I think with your work, with your performances and being having stood in a circle around, you know, you, it's almost the same thing that you're doing. Like it actually kind of is the same yeah. thing that you're doing is creating this kind of information that comes from you and what you've experienced and then other people because that's what happened there is people nodding and crying you mm. know not just taking it in objectively not just taking it in coldly actually sort of you know, feeling, uh, understanding it and feeling it through their bodies almost, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. it's, it's it, so it does obviously inform your work as well.
1: Yeah, and it's it's really like I think key that you said the word bodies there mm. because gender is an experience that happens in bodies. Mm. Like no matter how much we sort of theorise it, it still comes back to a body. Yeah. Inevitably, which is problematic and also <laughs> like really good to remember.
0: Yeah, Yep and i mean i have two young kids and i'm constantly thinking about that difference of bodies and mm. how you teach that or don't teach that or like leave it open or accidentally close things off you know mm-hmm. constantly i think as a parent thinking about how to um just give them every opportunity that they possibly can have to realize that gender themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know in this in this Time of sort of increasing toxic masculinity and kind of crazy, scary stuff like that. It's something that I'm, you know, with boys, I'm super conscious of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also conscious of not inflicting them with my own experience of gender Mm -hmm. or, you know, what I've been through as a woman, you know, onto two young boys. I don't have a daughter. I don't know. That Mm -hmm. stuff is constantly as a parent, you know, Mm -hmm. playing around in my head. Mm -hmm. But, as creative people you do play a role in other people's lives, you know, mm. whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that you're very much like that. Like I do think that um a lot of people might not even know you to say hello to you, but are very aware of sort of what you're doing at the moment. Mm. There's kind of a responsibility in that mm. as well.
1: Yeah. And um yeah, it's like total it has definitely altered my self- my perception of myself and um it's been really interesting mm. and really like uh i think it's still unfolding um understanding how to uh i don't know kind of how other people see me i mean mm-hmm. like that's probably just a question that everybody asks themselves all the th- time I how do so. other people see me and yeah. like what what is it that they're like receiving from my communication is it what am i coming across in the way that i wish to be seen or heard
0: and how is that
1: what do you mean how do you wish to be seen or heard um i i don't want to like <laughs> i don't want to give one answer because i i don't think there is one answer like just um
0: there must be i mean when you think about that like what what mm. would you be disappointed in if someone said to you well i see you as what would be a disappointing response for you?
1: Um, I don't. I don't. Oh wow!
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm, you don't have to answer. But. No,
1: it's like a really good question, but I guess I've never asked myself that. So, I, like, nothing kind of pops into my head about how do I mm. not want to be seen. Um, I guess I fear that I'm not very articulate, and I wonder if people.
0: I don't think that's a. Trick. <laughs> I mean, I've, I was just thinking about it myself. Like I don't, I think the worst thing that I would want to be seen as is is closed off to other possibilities, you know. Like I would hate to be seen as um, a bigot. Mm. I think that's possibly the worst way that I'd want to be seen. Mm. But then in terms of gender, I mean, I, yeah, like that's a whole other thing. And often I do think, you know, with all the stuff around being femme or not femme, I've never really thought about it very much and except, again, with kids, you know, they're like, why you put that stuff on your eyelashes?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so curious how, like, it can be a thing that people don't think about. That's what amazes mm. me, like, that it's just this ingrained kind mm. of... Uh, set of ways of being that people kinda naturally kinda adopt or whatever. Well I you watched my mum
0: do it. Yeah. It's like
1: you don't <laughs> think about it until you suddenly make another person or whatever. Or like yeah. or um
0: Yeah. Oh, made another person. <laughs> <laughs> Better tada. think about it. How <laughs> <laughs> that happen? <laughs> Shit, what do I believe in again? <laughs> sort of like that though. And it, yeah. and it is um I mean of course I've thought about it and you think about how you cut your hair and you think about what clothes you wear but I like to think that I justify it on just how I feel like I feel like doing it and that is what I said to my boys is like well I feel like it cuz it makes me feel you know it frames my eyes better hmm. like that's what I said hmm. and then they're like but you do it when you go out <laughs> <laughs> you don't do it when you're at home hmm. I'm like well yeah i mean there's so many kind of Different answers to that. And I guess it's just that what you feel comfortable
1: with or whatever. But, and
0: I think it's also like this,
1: this thing about, well, do what makes you feel comfortable. It's actually it doesn't always end up with you feeling comfortable <laughs> because, you know, you might feel like I feel good wearing like diamonds and gold and like shiny (laughs) fling stuff not that I have the money to afford those things I was gonna say I haven't seen you you diamonds. (laughs) (laughs) well I mean like the reason why I don't all the time is because I'm really conscious that that like is a discrepancy with my facial hair like that's a discrepancy with my my voice if we're talking about Mm. like um
0: how you come across
1: yeah or, or if we want to like think in terms of like expectations or like the normative ways of understanding like mm. what a what a person should and shouldn't do um so even though that's a thing I might want and might make me feel good mm. it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to feel good on the street because I'm going to be hyper conscious of what people are like how people are responding or what people are thinking mm. and it's not an unfounded thought because I have had people being aggressive towards me in mm. public
0: yeah. So how do you deal with that?
1: Because
0: uh, we all have our ways.
1: Yeah, we all have our ways. Um, that, that That's, like, entirely dependent on the
0: individual <laughs> oh, the, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and what they're kind of presenting, but I, I try and talk to people. Talk
0: to like, people. Like, I
1: try and just be, you know, I try and remember that I I'm not accountable to other people's expectations and I try and explain that to them. Really, mm. that's a
0: that's a very generous thing to do. I would just probably.
1: Well, I think what <laughs> happens is they realise like they've got their own screwed up lim- limits mm. on what they're allowed to do yeah. and what they're not allowed to do, and it of like their fear often comes from feeling like how come you have the right to this, where where when I have tried so hard mm. to contain myself and to, or, or maybe it's like they don't necessarily want to appear or look how I want. To or how I do yeah but it's like a, a thing of um, yeah why did why are you allowed to get away with it I'm not think, okay with that
0: I mean I've been thinking a lot about it in the last two days because um a mutual friend of of mine and other performers in Melbourne was harassed recently on the weekend for wearing a he was doing a performance wearing a pink unitard like a weightlifters unitard not even a mankini just a unitard. Um, miss 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 um quoted as a man but um you know he's he's a performer a physical performer had a permit to do it and was approached by a right- wing mm. fascist horrible horrible human being and filmed and um mm-hmm. and it yeah I mean apart from feeling hugely angry on his behalf just furious like I've been furious for two days but um then you start to think, well why and I guess this is what you're talking about is why did he do that apart from. You know, trying to garner followers or whatever, filming it. That's why he did it. But then, mm. but deep down, he must have somehow believed in that in order to do that. And then, is it because? I don't think it's because he feels like he's not allowed to do that. It's mm. it's it's a deep seated kind of belief in that a, a man shouldn't do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like shouldn't wear a color, shouldn't wear a tight fitting outfit. You know, there's mm. heaps of examples throughout history mm. where men in a swimming team or uh, there's footage of him wearing Speedos, less uh-huh. less material, <laughs> yeah. you know, that he's posted online. Mm. So where does it, is it the colour? Mm. Like that's what it started me thinking. It's like, mm-hmm. is it because it's pink?
1: Mm-hmm. It's Probably. just so
0: crazy that you can have such a heated, violent response in public, mm. even to the police, over a colour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the power of, I mean, mm. even beyond a word, mm. just a colour.
1: Mm. And pink used to be a colour for boys. It did,
0: Yeah. All the ruffly shirts and stuff, they were all pink. Mm -hmm. I do, I mean, this is a whole other conversation (laughs) about colour. Don't get me started on it. But, um, yeah, I do think that there's, and it does tie back into your practice, I guess, is that that we really do need to check what, in terms of symbols and signs and language, you know, what we use and how we use it and what Mm. we believe in and what we put, like, so much energy and faith into is, Possibly not that kind of set in stone and not that Mm. important Mm. sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Can be more slippery, can be more open. Mm. On that note of keeping things open and closed and (laughs) finishing things off, I'd really like to thank you. I mean, time's just flown by because I'm so involved in this. And I'd just like to thank you, Archie, for being part of the project because. Essentially, you are the one person that I desperately really wanted to talk to. So thanks mm, for being here. Thanks so much, Ty.
1: I used to be a mathematician, used to do long division and subtraction in my head. I'd be at my desk for days writing the songs and thinking...
0: What a truly fascinating artist. Someone who is really committed to exploring identity through a series of processes, not just the visual. I love the way that Archie seems to work everything out through their body. The way they said at the beginning of our conversation, I get a bit obsessed with one idea, going over and over it, and then I ask, how's it going to feel in my body? Not in a calculated or constructed way. It struck me that Archie uses a very true and grounded way of working. It made a lot of sense to learn that Archie was educated as a kid in the Hindu teachings of Vedanta. Beyond their fascination with language and the way it both fails and connects us, there seems to be the underpinning of these words, I am not my body, I'm not my thoughts, I'm not my emotions. On that note, it's time for me to go and work out what I'm not. This conversation was hosted by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist, for those of you who don't know my work. I'm actually making a series of artworks inspired by each of these conversations. If you're interested, the first iteration is showing now at Sarah Scout Presents in Collins Street, Melbourne, and running until the 10th of November 2018. After that, the documentation will live on my website. For more information about the project and the artists I've been speaking to, head to tysnaith.com. Thanks to my audio producer, Beck Fari, and Melbourne musician, Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting us use this track, End of the Day, from her album, The Ocean of Everything. In this episode, we heard an untitled piece of music by Archie Barry with audio production by Sean Lowry. Thanks to Archie for supplying the audio. This podcast was originally conceived as part of the exhibition Unfinished Business Perspectives on Art and Feminism at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. This second season and the exhibition is supported by the Australia Council for the Arts.